Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Governor Gavin Newsom will face a recall election later this year. State officials have announced that the campaign to remove the governor from office has gathered enough signatures to put it before voters. KQED politics reporter Guy Marzarati has more. The campaign to remove Newsom from office picked up steam late last year as pandemic fatigue and frustration with the governor's COVID-19 restrictions, combined with an ill-advised dinner at the French Laundry, gave momentum to a long-shot campaign. Now Newsom will be just the second governor in state history to face a recall election. On Monday, state officials reported more than 1.6 million valid voters had signed the recall petition. That will put Newsom's fate on the ballot likely toward the end of the year. For the California Report, I'm Guy Marzarati. Randy Economy, an advisor and spokesperson for the recall Newsom campaign, told the California Report that he thinks the recall measure's approval shows that, quote, democracy still works in California. But critics of the Newsom recall say the idea was pushed by right-wing extremists, and it will cost the state millions of dollars that could be better spent elsewhere. California's new attorney general, Rob Bonta, who was appointed by Governor Newsom, has only been on the job for a few days, but he already has a high-profile challenger for the 2022 election. It's shaping up to be a political contest that could test California's appetite for criminal justice reform. KQED politics correspondent Marisa Lagos reports. Sacramento District Attorney Anne-Marie Schubert ticked off a litany of horrific crimes in announcing her campaign for attorney general, saying she's running to take on politicians like Bonta, whom she charges have abandoned victims and their families. Let me be clear. The newly appointed attorney general has voted for and supported policies and laws that are not only destroying the rights of crime victims, but are destroying public safety in this state. Schubert is well known for helping crack the Golden State Killer cold case in 2018. A former Republican, Schubert left the party several years ago and will run as an independent. She's part of the law enforcement establishment who opposed California's recent criminal justice reforms and was on the losing side of a recent ballot measure aimed at reversing some of those reforms. For the California Report, I'm Marisa Lagos. A state task force that's investigating fraudulent unemployment claims involving incarcerated people says it's made dozens of arrests and opened more than 1,600 inquiries. The task force was formed five months ago after local prosecutors say they uncovered potentially tens of thousands of fraudulent claims involving people in prison or jail. That could result in more than $2 billion being handed out to people who are incarcerated. Sacramento County District Attorney Anne-Marie Schubert now says the amount paid out to criminals could total $20 billion once it's all said and done. Investigators say that many of the claims are filed in the name of inmates without their knowledge, but several cases involve those who are incarcerated working with family and friends to file the fraudulent claims. 
In other news, the 2020 census results are out and California is among the losers, at least politically speaking. As KQED's Katie Orr reports, the count means that for the first time in its history, the state will lose a seat in the U.S. House of Representatives. California's congressional delegation will drop from 53 to 52 based on the census. While the state's population has grown over the past 10 years, it hasn't kept pace with the rest of the country. Redistricting consultant Paul Mitchell says while losing a congressional seat isn't great, it could have been worse for California. The state spent $200 million on working with community-based organizations and doing phone banking and texting and when it was appropriate, doing actual in-person outreach in communities to try to bolster the completion of census forms. On the other hand, he says states like Florida and Texas could have gained more seats than they did if they'd made as big an outreach effort as California. For the California Report, I'm Katie Orr in Sacramento. You've just heard about the political consequences of the 2020 U.S. Census for the Golden State. But consider this question. When it comes to counting Californians, was the census anywhere close to accurate, even with the outreach efforts done by the state? One person who thinks the final tally is flawed and undercounted communities of color and immigrants is Fernando Guerra. He's the director for the Center for the Study of Los Angeles at Loyola Marymount University and closely follows California demographics. Guetta shared his census concerns with the California report after the numbers were released. I fully expected and probably occurred that there was an undercount in California, especially uh, Los Angeles County. An undercount for what reason? Well, there's a variety of different factors. One, uh, immigrants who may not be documented and don't want to be documented, that is, counted. Uh, Number two, incredible high mobility. We have one of the lowest percentage of home ownership, so therefore we have renters, and renters tend to uh, move around uh, and much more difficult to count. Also, given the cost of housing and renting, it's not unusual to have uh, more than one family in a rental unit, which is not on the lease, so people don't want to count those people. You know, the census form comes and only one family is counted. Number three, in terms of renters, we have a lot of uh, garage conversions and other conversions that happen throughout the older suburbs uh, where uh, the census doesn't have that address. They never get the form. And so there's all kinds of these trends, mostly having to do with housing, immigration status, and equity that creates a population that is just much more difficult to count than one traditionally thinks. You know, there were also a lot of suspicions that the Trump administration was actively trying to sabotage an accurate count, especially in blue states like California and blue cities like L.A. and San Francisco. Do you think these census numbers could also reflect that? You know, there was also an attempt by the Trump administration to make immigration status an issue, which would lead to an undercount. Even though it wasn't implemented, the whole narrative certainly filtered down to the undocumented community that said uh, that they were going to try to get immigration status and may even use that immigration status. Even though it never happened, that didn't matter. The narrative was set that you were going to be counted, documented, identified as an undocumented immigrant 
and that that could create a liability for you. So it could have created this atmosphere of anxiety and fear, and maybe a lot of people were too scared to participate in the census. Right. The census depends on a lot of participation and initiative for the population at large. To be counted means to also be active and to make yourself known. The last thing that some individuals want to do is make themselves known. If they are undocumented immigrants, you are asking people to make themselves known proactively, and they're not about to do that. I won't hold you to a hard and fast number, but do you have a sense of generally what the undercount might have been, say, in the city or county of Los Angeles? Sure. My rough estimate, knowing certain uh, neighborhoods like Pico Union and Westlake, South Los Angeles, there was probably at least 100 to 250,000 more people in Los Angeles County. That's like a whole city unto itself. Absolutely, absolutely. Those people taken together, just in Los Angeles County there, were undocumented, would be the largest city in most states. Again, that was Professor Fernando Guerra of Loyola Marymount University. I'm Jason Flom, and you're Maggie Freeling. Hey, Jason. Every day we learn about another person who shouldn't be in prison. 58 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. So glad you're home. If you want to be part of this work, listen to Wrongful Conviction. The podcast where we hand the mic to innocent people to hear their stories. How do you send someone innocent to prison? Listen to new episodes of Wrongful Conviction with Maggie Freeling and Jason Flom on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A young correctional officer. He said it was the most dangerous prison in California. Forced to make a choice. Fulfill his oath or back his fellow officers. Recognize the badge of my office. I'm Suki Lewis. From KQED Podcasts comes On Our Watch Season 2, New Folsom. A story about who gets hurt when the system that promises to keep us safe is bent on protecting itself. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. The city of Fresno has reached settlements totaling nearly $10 million with the families of people killed in separate incidents by police in that city. The California Report's Alex Hall has more. Fresno will pay $4.9 million to the family of 16-year-old Isaiah Murrieta Golding, who was shot and killed by police in 2017. Body cam and surveillance footage released in 2019 show officers chasing the teenager as he runs from a traffic stop, jumps over a fence, and is ultimately shot in the back of the head. Police said they believed the teen was involved in a fatal shooting the day before. He was unarmed, according to the federal lawsuit. The settlement is the second this month after the city agreed to drop an appeal and pay $4.4 million to the family of 45-year-old Casimero Shane Casillas, killed by police in 2015. Fresno City Council president said the cases were settled in order to move forward in good faith on implementing police reform recommendations that came out of protests last year. For The California Report, I'm Alex Hall in Fresno. Leaders in San Diego are concerned that incidents of anti-Asian hate crimes are underreported in the city. Mayor Todd Gloria, speaking last night during a virtual meeting hosted by Asian American groups in the city, says prosecutors have made a commitment to crack down on hate crimes. 
our district attorney and our, uh, our city attorney and our police chief have all made clear if given any of these cases, they will prosecute them vigorously. When asked why San Diego hasn't seen the high-profile physical attacks on members of the Asian community, like in other big cities recently, Mayor Gloria says he thinks they're occurring in the community but haven't been reported to local authorities because of fears about immigration status or that they wouldn't be taken seriously. And that's the California Report for Tuesday, April 27th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thank you so much for listening, and have a good day. Support for the California Report comes from Personal Capital, helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor. PersonalCapital.com Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone everywhere. Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions. Online or through Star One's mobile app, Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. I'm Jason Flom. And you're Maggie Freeling. Hey, Jason. Every day we learn about another person who shouldn't be in prison. 58 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. So glad you're home. If you want to be part of this work, listen to Wrongful Conviction. The podcast where we hand the mic to innocent people to hear their stories. How do you send someone innocent to prison? Listen to new episodes of Wrongful Conviction with Maggie Freeling and Jason Flom on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.